are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material. And before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the ComBank Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at ComBank and today I've got our Head of International Economics, Joe Caperso. Joe, good to have you back on. It's great to be back, Belinda. Now, we're going to talk about inflation today. Yeah, it's certainly been on the minds of a lot of people recently. It has. I don't think I have been asked on so many questions on inflation in many, many years. Are you the same? Yeah, it feels like we're back to pre-GFC level. So not just pre-pandemic, but pre-GFC. On inflation concerns. That's right. So what what has sparked this? Because I think it's really been a 2021 story more so than a 2020 story. Oh, most definitely. Well, the the US uh, financial markets, uh, they're really still the uh, the centre of the global financial markets. So uh, whatever happens in the US economy uh, really does uh, spread through global financial markets. And of course, uh, that US inflation uh, report for the month of uh, April was uh, very strong. So headline inflation over 4%. Mm. The uh, so-called core measure of inflation over 3%. And those two numbers, of course, are well above the uh, Federal Reserve's 2% inflation target. And obviously stronger than it's been for some time. That's right. We haven't seen a 4% number for uh, the US uh, more than a decade now. So I guess the question we need to answer is, is this lifting inflation permanent or is it transitory? And obviously that's a big debate happening in markets at the moment and at the central bank level. You've gone through a number of I guess, the arguments why we will see or might see an increase in inflation. So we'll run through them. The first one you've pointed out is the loose fiscal policy. So is that enough to spur inflation? Well, uh, fiscal policy is government spending and government uh, taxing decisions. And uh, one response of governments to the pandemic was to shut the economy down. And uh, as the old saying goes, uh, you break it, you won't. <laughs> so the, the, the governments felt that they needed to respond with very loose fiscal policy. And, and that, a lot of that uh, in countries like Australia, mm. America and Europe were, were wage subsidies. And I think what the trend seems to be on the fiscal policy side is to keep it expansionary for longer than what we've seen in previous economic downturns. Well, that's certainly what governments want to do, whether their legislators allow them to do that might be another question. So we're talking there about political mm. constraints. Um, now, at the moment, fiscal policy has been very loose. Mm. Um, there are, a lot, as you say, a lot of expectations it will stay loose. There's no guarantees, though. It will, yeah. Uh, but one point we like to make is that in a lot of countries, it needs to stay loose because their economies and, and their labour markets are a long way for what you might call normal. Or potential, what po- growth potentially should be. Exactly right. Now, the next one is, I think, particularly relevant to Australia, and that's immigration and tourism. So with borders closed, it's how you go about 
getting growth, what the lack of immigration means for potential growth, and also what it means for labour supply. That's right, yeah. So immigration and tourism, uh, as you know, being uh, basically come down uh, to, to near enough to zero because of the international border closures. Now, I distinguish between immigration and tourism in terms of the impact on the economy. Mm. So tourism is really just an impact on demand. Yeah. And that can be made up by uh, government spending. Whereas immigration uh, is an in, is an, has an impact on both demand and supply. Yeah. So demand, which is spending, supply, which in this case is your labour force. And I know that's a, one of the reasons why in Australia we're a little bit more focused on a pickup in wages and inflation. So we think that you may see wages and inflation pressure earlier than what the central bank thinks because there is a real lack of labour supply through those border closures at the moment. Similar thing is happening in, in Canada as right. well. So both uh, Australia and Canada uh, are quite strong immigration mm. countries, whereas at the other end of the spectrum, Japan and China, immigration is more or less irrelevant for population and labour supply trends. Right. Now, household savings during the pandemic in most countries lifted to very elevated levels. In some countries, they have remained quite elevated. So in Australia, we're still seeing an accumulation of savings take place. How does that fit in with the inflation story? So there's a really important distinction to make here between savings rates, and which which have gone up a long yes. way, and the stock of savings. Mm. Uh, so the savings rates have gone up through the roof in more or less all countries except for China where they've gone up a little bit, but they're already very elevated yes. anyway. Uh, and those savings rates, we think, will come down. Yeah. Just like uh, you think that they will come down uh, in Australia to around 5%. That's the long-term average. The long-term average, yep. yes. Uh, but uh, if the savings rate is above, is above zero, that means the stock of savings yes. is keeping increasing yes. over time. So if people are optimistic about consumer spending, uh, chances are you're still going to see an increase in the stock of savings. And that may mean that the uh, impulse to consumer spending isn't as strong as what you would see if you got a decrease in the stock of savings. Mm. So I think that's that's an important distinction, which I think has been overlooked by a lot of analysts. Okay, so that means it's less likely that we'll see that jump in inflation if we don't see that big fall in savings rates. Exactly right. And we've looked at the the US. We've looked at the last uh, well, the previous five recessions, and we found that only in two of the previous five recessions has the stock of US savings fallen. Right. So in other words, it's not guaranteed you, you're going to get a drawdown of these big savings buffers. And I think one thing that's probably also needs to be explored is whether or not we see consumer behaviour go back to what it was like pre-pandemic. Spending exactly right. patterns may have changed and that's something that I guess we'll understand a lot more about over the next year or so. That's right. Now, one of the other pressures that gets pinpointed in relation to rising inflation and whether or not we're going to see it is commodity prices. Yeah, that's right. Look, I, I think overall commodity prices are probably given too much weight right. in the discussions about inflation. And I think it of, of this way. Um, I don't use much steel or copper in my... Really? ..in my everyday uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, going about town. Yeah. I, I do, of course, um, use plenty of uh, agricultural products, yes. food. Yeah. But the... the uh, Mining the, and metals. The, the, but the commodity Energy. elements yeah. of uh, my food is actually really, really small. Just like the commodity element of my car is actually really small. The cost of most things that we buy is actually labour costs. Yeah. It's not commodities. So I think I think it's overblown. Uh, and and but another probably even more important point about commodity prices is we really should divide the world up into two camps: mm. those that import commodities and those that export commodities. Right. So if you're a commodity export like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, an increase in commodity prices is an increase in your national income, which is what we're seeing. Exactly right. Uh, whereas if you're, say, Japan or, or Europe, an increase in commodity prices is basically a tax right. on your consumption. Yeah. So don't expect um, an inflation increase in those countries to the extent that it comes through commodity prices to, to accelerate inflation. It could well have the opposite effect. Right. By taxing consumption. Yes. Now, when we have been speaking to our clients recently, there's still a lot of discussion around supply chain disruptions. So are we seeing any impacts from that on inflation or, or what's the likelihood of it happening? So, look, supply chain disruption, that phrase, I think it captures an enormous number yes. of things yes. that are going on. Uh, we can certainly uh, point to some specific uh, uh, problems or bottlenecks mm. in some supply chains and that semiconductors for car production yes. is, is certainly one uh, that is believed to be behind uh, the increase in used car prices. But uh, as you know, Belinda, used car prices are not a big part of any country's CPI. CPI basket, yes. So you're talking a percent or two. Um, but look, uh, overall, I think what what we're seeing is a surprise uh, by businesses that demand has rebounded as quickly as they expected. Right. So, for example, if you're a car maker, uh, a year ago you decided to cut your orders of semiconductors, and now you've been caught short. Yes, because of the quite swift recovery in a lot of the economies. Exactly right. So I, th I think it's not so much disruptions or bottlenecks in supply as opposed to just an unexpected increase right. in demand. Right. And I think that's, that's quite different. Now, you mentioned earlier about wages. So wages are really in a lot of the basket of goods and services, kind of the biggest cost yes. for a business. So Especially what for rich countries <laughs> like Australia. Yes. yes. So what are we doing and what are we seeing in terms of wages growth and how may that influence the outlook for inflation? So look, for most of the economies that we look at, uh, unemployment or underemployment is high. Uh, and labour force participation, which is uh, the proportion of... Uh, of uh, people 16 or over that are either in a job or want a job is low yep. in most places. Australia Australia's probably sticks out as, as, the, exception. Uh, as the exception yep. to that general rule. And look, that kind of environment of high un under and unemployment is not conducive to a big pickup in, in wage costs. Now, the US may well be a curious exception here. Right. Because on 
most measures, uh, labour market slack is high in the US, but uh, employment costs, or at least growth in employment costs, actually didn't decelerate very much during the pandemic. So something might be going on in the US. Uh, There is a debate on what that might be. One potential reason is what economists call labour hoarding. I see. And that is that um, because uh, labour was very scarce in the US before the pandemic... Well, what did the unemployment rate get down to? It was uh, around 3.5%. Yeah, it's very low. That's right. So because of that recent experience by US businesses find it difficult to find labour... Uh, that may well have made them a little bit more generous about wage increases during the pandemic. Mm. So that so there may be a good explanation for why that's the case, or it could just be uh, good old fashioned lags in the system. Yeah. Okay, which can happen in terms of wages and inflation. Exactly in right. Labor market. Now, what about inflation expectations? So this is something that we do keep quite an eye out for because inflation expectations can translate to actual inflation outcomes? That's right. What is happening? And I guess even more importantly is that central banks, uh, from the governor or the president down, Mm. really place a high priority on uh, either raising inflation expectations if you're in Japan or in Europe or keeping them near the the target Mm. if you're uh, a a central banker elsewhere. Now, we'd be quite specific here that... It's consumers' inflation expectations. That Not are the bond market. Not the bond market. Uh, sorry, all, all, your, all your fixed income uh, <laughs> analysts and traders out there. Bond markets do not determine inflation in the economy. Consumers do in their purchasing decisions and workers and businesses do in their wage negotiations. So actually, and the US is actually another curious uh, example here in that consumers' inflation expectations have increased materially in the last, let's say, three months, but they're not high. And if anything, they're, they're at the low end of what the Federal Reserve would need uh, to keep uh, inflation outcomes at their 2% target. But they have moved a long way and, you don't, and, and up, whereas in other countries that are either low or falling. Right, OK. So kind of putting all these different factors together... Are we going to see a lift in actual inflation that will worry central banks? Because that's, I think, the biggest question at the moment, both for us economists and for central banks, is will we actually see it come through in coming years? Yeah, look, that, that's, uh, that's an excellent question. And I, I think what we should do is probably just take one step back and, and just think about uh, the recent inflation mm. reports we've received. Uh, we mentioned at the start the really big number, the 4% for headline US inflation. So what we've been telling clients is forget the headline inflation. Yep. All, all countries' inflation numbers are going to go up uh, shortly if they haven't already. Base effects. Purely because yep. we're comparing with the weakness of this time last year. So that, that really isn't inflation at all. That really is just uh, a comparison mm. of the obvious that last year was really, really weak. So what we're telling clients is don't look at headline inflation, don't look at the uh, so-called core inflation measures that you see in the US. Which like is X, food and energy. Exactly right. Look at trimmed mm. inflation. Now, if you're in um, Australia or, um, or Canada, uh, you've heard of trimmed inflation before. So what trimmed inflation is, 
is simply inflation that takes out all the very large increases and decreases in prices over that, uh, that period of a month or a quarter. And that, we find, is a very good uh, indicator of where headline inflation will trend over time. Right. Now, for the countries that release trimmed inflation, all of them, except for Canada, have inflation comfortably below the central bank's inflation targets. So inflation is not a problem right mm. now. Now, will it be in the future is really the, the big question. Well, again, look at the labour market. Mm. So for those countries that you think are going to have a tight labour market, like Australia, yeah. like New Zealand, I think that's where you're going to see inflation. But in countries like Europe, I don't think so. And, of course, I said that curious uh, <laughs> exception the that is the United States, where those wage costs haven't really decelerated much. So, look, I, I'd, I'd basically say if you're a commodity exporting country or if you're the, the United States, mm. that's probably where you're going to see inflation pressures emerge first. If you're in Europe or in Japan, probably not. Joe, it's been great to get that deep dive into inflation and what we should be watching out globally. Thanks very much for joining. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, you can read Joe Caperso's report, Will Central Banks Soon Have an Inflation Problem? And that was published on the 26th of May 2021 on combankresearch.com.au.